You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. All right, if your Bibles take those, turn to Galatians chapter 6, please. Galatians chapter 6 this evening. And then while you're turning, I'll share a brief testimony. Let me just share, I am so thankful to be here this evening. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. Uh, it really is a blessing, it really is. I'm so thankful that God has led me here. Um, every testimony, every good testimony uh, begins with Jesus Christ. Amen. And every good testimony will end with Jesus Christ one day as well. Uh, my testimony started as a young, young boy, six years old. Um, I trusted Jesus Christ in my bedroom. Uh, I had known a lot about Jesus. I knew about the cross, I knew about Calvary, I knew about the resurrection. But I realized that I never put my trust in him personally. And there in my room, next to my bed, I asked him to save me personally. Uh, after he saved me, uh, I was 11 years old, July 29th, actually, 2011. Uh, I was at a Christian camp in North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina, called the Wilds. An uh, old mountain preacher called Dr. Tom Farrell was preaching. And he was preaching on giving your all to God. He was talking about how God not only wants part of you, he wants all of you. And that night I realized for the first time that I had never given God everything. My life had been all about me, about what I desired, what I aspired to be as an 11-year-old boy. But that night, I remember being so convicted by God at the end of the service. Daniel, give your life to me. I can do more with it than you can. And so I went outside. I knelt down on this rustic wooden uh, bench sitting outside that metal building. And, and there on my knees, I said, God, at this point, my life's been all about me, but I'm making all about you. I give myself to you, whatever you have me to do. And I can't explain, I can't put it into words, but I knew at that moment that God wanted me to preach. Uh, it was a calling from above, and I just had that in my heart ever since. And so going throughout my years in church, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, all throughout those years, uh, God put me in a great church where I was able to exercise those gifts, develop those gifts. I uh, was invested in by many people. I've been invested in by so many people. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, as a senior in high school, I was wrestling, praying, God, what's the next step? Uh, naturally, the next step is Bible college, right? And so I began praying, okay, God, which one would you have me to go to? A lot of great options out there. Uh, God, through a series of circumstances, led me to Pensacola, decided in my senior year. And then uh, that summer, actually, uh, I was preparing to go to college. One of my duties, one of my uh, privileges at the church there were to clean the buses, the bus ministry we had there. And so uh, one, that summer, right before college, I was cleaning the buses. And, and all of a sudden, I see this van pull in, and it's actually Pastor Cobernat and his two daughters. Uh, they're coming there to visit my pastor, Pastor Strofe, uh, who there have been uh, good friends for a number of years. And so I spoke with him briefly. It was a very brief conversation. Didn't know anything about the ministry here. Uh, but I looked it up later. I found out a little bit about it. Uh, followed it on Facebook and, and YouTube and tuned in every now and then. And then throughout my college years, right? I was in college for four years at Pensacola. Uh, it's, it's so interesting. As I would pray about places in the future, for some reason, victory would always come to my mind. But I thought to myself, there's no way that's going to happen, Right? Uh, I don't know anybody else from Pensacola there. Uh, I don't know many people there besides him. He probably doesn't even remember me. It was a quick stop, five-minute conversation. Uh, but then I, I, after graduating from college, uh, God allowed me to be a rep for PCC for two years. And so thankful for that privilege. You know, there's some things God allows you to do and you just say, that's the grace of God. And it truly was for the last two years to be able to travel uh, this side of the country, uh, going to churches throughout the summer and for a couple weeks in the winter, uh, preaching, bringing a tour group. Uh, and then throughout the year as well, going to Christian schools, preaching in chapel services, encouraging students towards Christian education, Christian college, uh, but more importantly, God's will uh, for their life. 
and it really was a great privilege, a great opportunity. It went quickly. Uh, it passed quickly. And I found myself in January of this year praying, okay, God, what's the next step? Uh, I've been seeking, been looking towards local church ministry since I was 11. Uh, ministry's been the passion of my life for all these years. Where are you going to put me? Where do you want me, God? And as I began praying, I remember just God opening doors, praying through those doors. And then I believe it was around March, so this past, this year, this past March, I was, um, due to some unforeseen circumstances, some weather, I was able to cut through here on my way to Elizabeth City as a rep for PCC, and I swung in the service real quickly. It was cold as could be. I remember that. It was raining outside. I thought, where is this coming from? And then uh, in the service, I remember it was such a blessing to be here. Y'all were so friendly. I felt right at home. Uh, but as, the, as he preached the message, as the service went on, I, I remember I came down to this altar here. I knelt down right there uh, at the invitation. And at that time, I was feeling a lot of pressure. Um, I had several... Uh, ministries, several churches that were offering me positions, and they were wanting answers uh, a little sooner than I was ready to give answers. And so at that altar, I said, God, I don't know what you want, but I give it to you. Um, I don't know where you want me to be, but I give it to you. I even said, God, you know, this is a place that uh, I've looked into. If for some reason, you put it in my heart. Uh, if, but I'm not going to say anything about when I finish repping for PCC, when I get it from praying. I'm not going to talk to anybody about that. Uh, if you want me to be here, I pray that you put it in Pastor Coburnett's heart. I pray that you do that. Uh, I got up. I talked to Brother Bybee for about 30 seconds and said hello to him. And then I talked to Pastor Covernat. And uh, Pastor Covernat, within just a few minutes, said, Daniel, when do you finish working with PCC? And I thought to myself, there's no way this conversation's going that direction. <laughs> and I said, well, I finished this, this August. And I said, I have a few places that are on the table I'm praying about right now. And he said, well, I'd like for you to pray about one more place. And uh, I did. I began praying. I began seeking God. And it was about three weeks later. Honestly, I didn't know a lot about a lot of details about what it would look like coming here. Uh, but I remember I was praying over in uh, Emerald Isle, North Carolina. Uh, it was a Saturday, and I was at a coffee shop, and I was just so heavy, so waiting on the Lord, trying to figure out. And as I was praying through the different places, right, I was praying through the pastors, praying through the places, I got to victory, and I can't explain it, but there was just a peace in my heart that I can't explain any other way. And uh, just an excitement that I didn't have about any other place. And so I fasted, I prayed a little more, and then long story short, here I am, just a few months later. And I'm so thankful to be here, really am. Uh, this church has been more than I could ever imagine, the friendliness, uh, the family atmosphere. Uh, it's a large church, but it's one big family. That's a blessing of God. This church is united around the word of God, around the cross of Christ, around the glory of God. And I'm so thankful to be here to serve alongside of you and hopefully serve you in these days to come. Thank you, could I say, for, you, for your kindness to me. Uh, the kind cards, the prayers that you've already prayed for me, uh, the grace you've given as I've tried to remember names. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I really am thankful and excited for all that God's going to do in the future as we serve here together. We're in Galatians chapter 6 this evening. I'll get to the message now. I'm excited to share a brief thought with you that God has put on my heart. I trust and I pray that it'll be a blessing to your heart as I seek to be obedient to the Spirit of God this evening. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, beginning here in verse number 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house this evening. Thank you for just the privilege to share your word. I pray that you'd help me to rightly divide it. Oh God, I pray that your spirit would be upon this message, that you would use me as only you can. God, I'm nothing within myself. I need your help this evening. 
Father, I pray if there be one in our midst that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that you bring them to yourself. But then, Lord, as Christians, I pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray that you'd bring a resolve in our life. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen our faith as we seek to follow you and serve you all of our days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I had two brothers. I, I still have two brothers. Excuse me. I just forgot to share that with you. <laughs> I have two brothers. Uh, my younger brother, Jackson, he's four years younger than me. Uh, we were getting ready to do a race for the first time. My school I went to had this fundraiser they were doing. And uh, that race was an exciting one, right? It was a mile and a half, not super long. For some of us, it would be really long. But uh, it, it was a mile, a mile and a half. We were excited to do it. Uh, Jackson was going to be in it with me. That means he's about seven years old. And Jackson got up to the line, and my, my dad loves to tell the story how he looks across and he sees Jackson. Jackson's the competitive one in the family. Some competitive people in here I know. Uh, that's the way Jackson is, even as a kid. Uh, he, he got up on the line as, as a marker, and, and he did as he saw on TV. The racers do there, and he, he, he crunched down real low and had this scowl on his face, and he was ready to win it. He was so excited. He was so enthusiastic about it. As we get ready to run, all of a sudden, the whistle blows off, and he goes, and I go. And as we start running, my dad says he sees Jackson. He's all excited. He's running as hard as he can. And that lasted for about 100 yards. <laughs> and then he realized it was not as easy as he thought it would be, and it was not as fun as he thought it would be. So with a little smile on his face, he turned to the left and ran over to mom and dad and went into their arms. Isn't it interesting how in life we can start something with great enthusiasm? We can begin something with great excitement. But it doesn't take too long to be in this world, to be in this life, before we realize we can get weary really easy. There can be circumstances that we face. There can be things around us, disappointment, discouragement. There can be outward circumstances physically that cause our spirits to get down. They cause us to begin to question, is it really worth running? Is it really worth the race? Is it really worth sticking to it? Just the other day, the other evening, I thought I would get a little exercise, not something I'm super good at, but I went kayaking on Lake Gaston. And as I was kayaking up there, I, I was going in the direction that the wind was coming towards me. As I was going forward, the waves were splashing up against the kayak. I was like, I didn't know I was on the ocean, but uh, here I am. I'm, I'm going up. I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm, I'm getting quite the workout in. I'm thinking, wow, I'll finally get strong in some way. But then, but then I, I decide, maybe I'll just turn around. It'll be a little easier, right? The truth is, as we live the Christian life, as we go day to day, year to year, as we seek to live holy, as we seek to do right, sometimes it can feel like we're swimming upstream. Sometimes it can feel like we're paddling in a direction and everything is going against us. And it would be easy. Oh, it would be so much easier just to turn around. Oh, we're trying to live for God. We're trying to do right. We're, we're trying to make the house of God a priority. But it just feels like it would be easier if we could just compromise our time a little bit more. Oh, we're trying to give our money to the Lord, our, our sacrificing our, our effort and our time and, and our resources for God. But we, we see a lost world and we think to ourselves, it'd be so much better if we would just do what they do. Uh, the voice of the devil, the voice of deception comes into our mind. Hey, why don't you just consider going the flow? Going with the flow. Why not turn back? Why not turn around? Oh, the world seems like they're doing okay. In ministry, I, I've heard from men older than me. Oh, I, I went to high school with all these kids that chose not to follow God, that chose to, to follow money, that chose to follow success in earthly realms. And I watched them far succeed where I am right now. And I know I could be there if I would have went that route. 
I could just turn around, go a different way. Is it really worth it? That's the question. Is it really worth it to make God our priority? Is it really worth it to make holiness our goal, our objective? Is it really worth it to wake up every single day and crucify the flesh and follow hard after God? Sometimes it can feel like it isn't worth it. But make no mistake about it, based upon the word of God, we know that it's worth it. This evening, I'm going to give you three reasons why we know it's worth it. Number one, this evening, we know it's worth it because there is a God who will not be mocked. There is a God that will not be contradicted. Notice in the text it says, verse number seven, be not deceived, God is not mocked. What's the idea here? There is a God who has stated his truth, and his truth will not be denied. His truth will not be contradicted. If he was true back then, he's true today. If we made a decision back then based upon his truth, you better believe it still sticks today. Now here's the thing, there's deception in our world. There's deception in our hearts sometimes. The devil, as the great deceiver, seeks to deceive us in these ways. Now here was the book of Galatians written to, it was written to those in Galatia. And they were being deceived by some outward influences. Notice your text, what's it say? Be not, what's it say? Deceived. Who was seeking to deceive them? Two different types of people. Number one, there were the Judaizers that were seeking to deceive these Galatians. What were they saying? Here's what the Judaizers were saying. They were saying that trusting Jesus Christ was not enough. It was trusting Christ, and then you had to do good works to be right with God. The second group of people are the legalists. These are those pushing license. Here's what they said. They said, you've trusted Jesus Christ. It's under the blood, as you say. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. Live whatever, hey, follow your flesh, follow your desires, follow your impulses. It's under the blood, you're going to heaven, you'll be just fine. And here's the problem. The Galatians didn't just hear it, but they also started listening to it and also started living by it. Remember, the Apostle Paul throughout the book said, "Uh, who hath bewitched you? In other words, who's put a charm on you that you believe these things? He said earlier, "Uh, ye did run well, ye did run well. Oh, isn't it true that some people, they can start out well? But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they get distracted by something else. He said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you? They believe these two false ideologies. But here's the problem with these ideologies. They were man-centered. They were man-focused. For on one side, it was focused upon my flesh, what I can do for God. And then the other side, it was focused on my flesh, how I can live outside of God's will. And here's the reality. Both were an assault on the cross of Christ and the grace of God. But here in this text, he says, be not deceived. What's the words? God is not mocked. What's the idea there? Here's the idea of mocked. It's the idea of someone sticking up their nose at God and walking on by him, turning their back on God. It's kind of like a a father that has a son. And maybe some of you can relate to this at some point in your life. Uh, You may have said something to your dad in a way that you shouldn't have said it. And what does the father say? I will not be spoken to in that way. Right? I will not be spoken as my son. Now, what's, now what's he saying? He, he's not saying you're not going to speak to me in that way. Here's what he's saying. I'm not going to let you speak to that, me that way and get away with it. Right? There's some consequences if you're going to do that. That's what's happening here in this text. Look, there's a world that denies God. There are Christians that deny my power and my ways. There are individuals that are seeking to persuade you away from what you've known to be true. 
But you better believe it. You better mark it down. From Genesis to Revelation, God has never let one person get away with sin. God has never let one person get away with their own way. God has never let one person go passively by without bringing vengeance upon them, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Is it really worth it to live for God? Oh, you better believe it is, because God will not be mocked. Oh, God will not look past it. God sees it openly, and God will judge it. And here's the reality. God will not be mocked. He will not be contradicted by what we say or by the way we live our life. You see, it's one thing to say, God, I'm contradicting you. But here's the reality. Sometimes if we aren't careful, we can begin to live in that way. We may say we believe something, but then if our actions aren't matching up with that belief, we're basically saying, God, I've heard you, but I don't believe you. And not, I'm not going to act upon it. But oh, it's worth it to follow God. It's worth it to serve God. It's worth it to be in God's way. Because when we're on God's side, we're on the winning side. Number two, uh, we know that God, there is a God that will not be contradicted. Uh, but then number two, here it is, uh, there are definite consequences. There are definite consequences. But why should we follow God? Why should we be sold out? Why should we seek to serve others with our life? Here's the reason. There are going to be some direct consequences to what we do. And he wants to make sure that the Galatians don't mix, miss this. Get this, watch this. Verse number eight. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap, what's it say there? Corruption. But here, get this. But he that soweth his spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. Okay, we're going to zoom in and study these verses just for a few moments. What's the Bible say? He that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. Every single one of us, uh, from a boy uh, to a girl, from, a, from a young to old, we all have a decision every single day as believers to live according to the flesh or to live according to the spirit, right? We have the opportunity. Uh, every day we wake up, what's the first way to live? According to the flesh. What is the flesh? It's anything that would be in the way of our unregenerated side of man. Uh, we have the opportunity to choose sin. We have the opportunity to choose our sinful desires. Uh, one person put it this way, uh, the flesh refers to the unbelievers, uh, to the believers uncleansed humanness. Uh, it's everything that we produce that's outside the will of God, outside the ways of God. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure thought, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Uh, every time that we linger in bad company, uh, every time we put ourselves in a position where we know we're going to be tempted to sin, we know our weak points and we allow ourselves to go to those places once again. What are we doing? We're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing to the flesh. And if we aren't careful, here's what Satan wants us to do. And here's what he's warning against. Satan wants us to compromise in not just the big areas, but also the small areas. He wants us to sow the flesh in the small areas. Oh, he wants us to speak words of gossip. He wants us to allow our thoughts to go in a certain direction. He wants us to allow our motives to be consumed with something other than God. Sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. We all have the opportunity every single day, don't we? And we all have to be weary of it. We all have to seek to resist it. See, sometimes we think it's just the big things that matter, but it's really not. You may have heard this. One person put it this way. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. No decision sticks within itself. Every decision has another influence upon it. So to the flesh or so to the spirit. And then notice here the Bible says, shall reap 
corruption. So what's the result of sowing to the flesh? You're going to reap corruption. Now, what's this idea of the word corruption here? Uh, the idea of the word corruption here uh, is the idea of something decomposing or fading away. Uh, maybe for those who've lived in this area for a number of years, maybe you've seen a house or a building that used to be in its prime. It used to look great. But then it was left by the way. A fence was put up. And before you know it, it's now overgrown with leaves. Before you know it, it's now the bricks are falling down. Before you know it, the roof's caving in. You know what I'm talking about there? It's the idea of something going from good to way below what it once was. That's the idea of corruption. Is that what sin does? It is. For in the Garden of Eden, what did God say? He made everything good. Then what happened? Sin corrupted it. Sin always brings about less than God's best. Always brings about less than God's best. When we sow to the flesh, we substitute the beauty of God's best for a marred or corrupt version of what God said was meant to be good. Abraham sowed to the flesh and reaped Ishmael. Isaac sowed to the flesh and reaped Esau. Jacob sowed to the flesh and reaped Simeon and Reuben. Lot sowed to the flesh and reaped Moab and Ammon. Samson sowed to the flesh and reaped blindness and bondage. Eli sowed to the flesh and reaped Hophni and Phinehas. Solomon sowed to the flesh and reaped Rehoboam. Throughout the word of God, we find time and time again, you want to substitute God's best for what you want, it'll always end up in something far below. But here's the thing, is that what the world teaches? No. That's not what the world says. That's not what the world shows. That's not what the Judaizers, those legalists of this time were saying. They were saying your best life is found in what you want. But here's the reality. The best life is always found in doing what God wants. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But then secondly, on the contrary, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. Now what is sowing to the Spirit? Sowing to the Spirit is the same word, the same terminology used in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, of yielding to the Spirit, right? Choosing to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Just as small actions can be yielded to the flesh, we also can yield small things to the Spirit. Uh, any actions towards denying the flesh, okay? Uh, let's, t let's think about some things practical here. Uh, maybe this, this morning, uh, getting up to read your Bible instead of hitting snooze and sleeping longer, was that sowing to the flesh or to the Spirit? Spirit, right? You're getting up. Uh, what about uh, giving of yourself to serve others when you feel like you don't want to? Is that sowing to the Spirit or to the flesh? Spirit, sorry, I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, saying good things about someone when you could say bad things. That's sowing to the Spirit, right? Uh, in the midst of our everyday decisions, choosing to resist sin, uh, choosing to read our Bible, choosing to listen to Christian music instead of some other type of music, right? Sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, little decisions day by day, choosing to be silent rather than complain, right? Choosing contentment over contention. Sowing to the Spirit. Every single day we have this opportunity, and God gives us the Holy Spirit that if we yield to, he'll help us with this. But here's the thing. When we do this, we get life everlasting. Now, some people look at these words and they say, what do you mean life everlasting? Do you mean to tell me that my going to heaven is determined on me sowing to the Spirit? No, that's not what it means. For you see, life everlasting throughout Scripture always refers to the quality of life rather than just the length of life. I'm going to read for you out of the book of John, John chapter 5, verse 24. Very verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting 
life. Present tense, right? Jesus says you have everlasting life. That's the quality of life. Uh, John 3.36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. When we trust Jesus Christ, we're, sure, we're going to go to heaven someday, right? We're going to have eternal life someday. But the life that God wants us to have, the abundant life that God wants us to have, does it begin when we get to heaven? No, it begins at the moment of salvation. And you know how we experience that? Waking up every single day, deciding to sow to the spirit instead of sowing to the flesh. Uh, isn't it true the most fulfilled times of your life have been the times that you were walking holiest before God? The times that you were closest to the heart of the Savior? The most satisfied times in life, experiencing God's best is when we chose his way instead of our own way. When we chose his will instead of our own will. Oh, there are some definite consequences. You sow to the flesh, you're going to get corruption, less than God's best. Uh, you sow to selfishness, uh, you live your life for yourself, you choose to do your own thing. Oh, you're going to get what that brings. That's going to bring depression. That's going to bring sadness. That's going to bring a heart that's broken and has not yet experienced the fullness of God. But, oh, we give it to God and we decide to live for him. You spend your life serving others. You spend your life giving yourself to others. And what do we find? The abundance of the Christian life that God desired for us to live when he put his son on the cross and said, I give you abundant life. So to the flesh, so to the spirit. I remember the testimony uh, as I was traveling on the road. I, I remember hearing the testimony of this lady who, who grew up in church much like this one. Good church. Solid preaching. Standards. Convictions. And that was all she knew for so many years. Christian school. She was in a bubble, so to speak, but a good bubble, right? But as she, she went through that, the time came for her to decide to go to college. And against her parents' wishes, she decided to go to a public university where she was exposed to all different types of sin, all different types of the manifestation of the flesh, right? We see the manifestation of the flesh in Galatians 5, if you want to look there. But she began to follow in that way. She began to sow to the flesh instead of sowing to the Spirit. And we live in a world that says, sow your wild oats while you're young. But what they don't realize is the destruction that that will bring for the rest of a person's life. All she did, she started to sow to the flesh. She started to go her own way. She started to follow after those things, but she said she got to a point, just like the Bible says with the prodigal son, where she came to herself. And here's what she realized. She realized that in the midst of the convictions, in the mix of the standards, in the midst of the things that she thought was holding her back, she found that's what God was using to hold her together. She said, here's what she said, I didn't realize how good I had it until she was too far gone. But oh, there's some of you in here tonight that you did live that lifestyle. You did go the way of the world. That's your testimony. And you would also agree, man, this is the best life that could be lived. This is the best path that could be followed. This is the best journey that we could ever be on of sowing to the Spirit, the abundant Christian life. Is it really worth it? Oh, you may be tired physically, but there's a joy that comes spiritually. It's worth it because we know there's a God that will not be contradicted. We know there are definite consequences. But then lastly here, why do we know it's worth it? Here's the reason. There is a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming. Notice the Bible says here in verse number nine, 
Would you read this out loud with me? Would you? The Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we think not. What's the idea of reap here? It's the idea of something coming forward, something growing forward. You plant a seed, you expect a crop, right? That's the idea that's given here. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember we had a walnut tree at my house. I don't know if y'all have walnut trees around here. But uh, as a kid, I, I had that walnut, and, and I thought to myself, I'm going to plant a walnut tree. And so I put the, the tree, the, the walnut, uh, into the ground, uh, put a few inches of dirt over it, and then I went into the house. And then three days later, I came back and said, okay, where's the tree? A week later, I came back and said, oh, where's the tree? I didn't realize that it was a process. That sometimes we don't always see the direct benefit of what we sow. Why do we know it's worth it to serve God? Oh, you say, I, I struggle. Am I, am I really doing anything for the kingdom? I feel like I'm teaching these kids God's truth. I'm trying to invest in their life, but I don't see any visible fruit right now. I've been sharing the gospel for a while at my, at my neighborhood, at my, my, my co-workers, and I, I just don't see the fruit of it right now. Hey, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're doing, if we're doing it for God, hey, there is a harvest coming. Uh, how do we see the harvest coming? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in what? In, in vain, in the Lord. Hey, there is a harvest in this life. What's the harvest in this life? Here's the harvest in this life. You sow to the Spirit, you get the joy, you get the peace, you get the contentment. But here's the thing. We also get to see some fruit, don't we? Oh, we get to see soul saved. We get to see uh, God use our lives, but we never see the full extent of it. But we do get to see a harvest right now. And by the way, here's what we know. We have no idea how what we sow right now will bring fruit in the future in this world. What's the Bible say? His word will not return void. You invest God's word in somebody's life, you better believe God's going to use it. There's a harvest coming in this world. Uh, they, they will accept or they will reject, but you'd be surprised how many people something was planted in their heart at a young age, and then God brought it to them at the lowest moments of their life. Oh, we just need to keep sowing, keep sowing, keep sowing. Know that God is big enough to bring a harvest in this life, even if we don't see it. By the way, is it worth us? Is it, is it, is it all about us seeing it? No, it's not. Uh, do we do what we do so we can see the fruit? No. We do what we do in faithfulness to God. But as we sow to the Spirit, as we give of ourselves to serve others in ministry, there's a harvest in this life, but there's also a harvest in the next life. For we know that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And though the pastor may miss it, though your parents may miss it, though your family may miss it, though you may feel you're unappreciated, you better believe there's a God in heaven who doesn't miss one thing that we do. He doesn't miss one cup given in the name of Jesus. And he won't miss one thing that you sow to the Spirit, that you sow for eternity. There's a harvest coming, and it's at his reward. One person put it this way, For we will discover that what we reap is completely out of proportion to what we've sown. The sacrifices we've made in this life will appear small, even to the point of insignificant on that great and majestic day. Oh, keep sowing, keep sowing. Why? Because there's a God that will bring increase. Number two, we can keep sowing because we know faithfulness is required. Uh, notice in your text here what the Bible says in verse number nine. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And then verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the, of the household of faith. And then back up in verse nine here, we see these words. For in due season, we shall reap. What's it say? If we faint not. What's the idea there? 
We can spend a lot of time sowing, but if we aren't careful, we may miss our rewards if we begin to faint. Just because someone starts off serving God, you know it doesn't mean they're going to finish serving God. Just because somebody sows a lot in one portion of their life, it doesn't mean they're going to do that for the rest of their life. And we know according to John, 2 John 8, 8, it says, look to yourselves. In other words, pay attention to the way you're living. Don't let your guard down. Why? That we lose not the things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Oh, there's a reward waiting for us. But if we let our guard down, if we begin to go the way of the flesh, if we begin to let go of those things which God's doing in our life, according to God's word, what can happen? We can lose our reward. But oh, that's not God's will. That's not God's desire. But we do know that God wants faithfulness from us as his children. Faithfulness. Then lastly here, we know there's a harvest coming, and within that harvest, we know our opportunity is limited. It's limited. Notice the text says here, verse number nine, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have, therefore, what's the word? Opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. What's it saying? As we have, therefore, opportunity. The literal idea of this word here is the idea of a specific season. The book of Ecclesiastes says, To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. I find it interesting it's put in this order. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. We know there's a harvest coming, and here's what we know about that harvest. We only have a set opportunity to sow the right type of things. We only have a set season to sow it. The word opportunity means it's a set time frame that will come and that will go. And with this in mind, how are we supposed to live? We're to make the most of the opportunity that God's given us. What is the opportunity? It's represented by a simple dash that will be on each one of our gravestones. From the year we are born to the year we die. In our responsibility as Christians is to sow as much as we can in that time. Oh, there's going to come a day where we'll share the gospel one last time. There's going to come a day that we'll give our last dollar to missions. There's going to come a day when we, we say sin, we say no to sin one last time. There's going to come a day when we sing our last song in church. There's going to come a day when our opportunity to give to God and to give to others has passed. As we have, therefore, opportunity. As we have, therefore, opportunity. And here's what we live, and here's how we know. We know that our opportunity may be ending sooner than we think. So many people in my life passed away. 30, 40. Just recently, there was an individual I, I knew, 28 years old. God took him. He ran his race. He finished his course. But oh, it inspires me. If my opportunity ends tomorrow, I want to say, I did all I could while I could. I sowed all I could while I could. Oh, I don't want to just settle for good. I want to settle for best. 
Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.